Good afternoon. It's good to be together again this afternoon. We're happy to have this opportunity to worship together in spirit and truth. Happy to have each and every one of you present here with us this afternoon. And I'm thankful to be invited once again to be your speaker. I want to read a passage of scripture with you to begin this afternoon from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. And I'd like to read here with you a few verses that are things that are taught to Solomon from his father David that he's wanting to share with his son Rehoboam. And in Proverbs chapter 1, the Bible says, beginning at verse 4, He also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. It's helpful, isn't it, at times to have the Bible just kind of give you a little verbal highlighter. And that's really what happens in verse 7, where you see that phrase, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. This is something that David taught his son Solomon. Solomon wants to teach his son Rehoboam, and so we have the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs provide um, primarily poems that are exalting the benefits of wisdom. She is the most attractive companion, and she will bring you the most attracting, attractive rewards in life. And so wisdom should be prized and honored and pursued. And so this is something that we continue to be aware of even today. Wisdom. We want wisdom. It's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. It's something that is a priority. And so what is that? What is wisdom? You know, wisdom is related to knowledge. Knowledge, of course, is the gathering of information, of facts, and all that thing. But wisdom is the ability to apply that knowledge to a particular situation. So a person who is wise knows how to apply what they know to what they are doing. And so we want to learn God's will. We want to know the truths of God's will. It's vital that we know the truths of God's will. But we need wisdom too. We need to understand how to apply those truths to particular situations. To be able to recognize how God's word, the truths of God's word, actually should look in real life and how they should impact our real life. So we want to spend a few moments this afternoon thinking about that. How is it that you would get wisdom? Where do you get wisdom from after all? Well, there's a lot of different ways that I think you can get wisdom, a lot of different avenues that God provides for us. But one of my favorite ways is through studying characters of wisdom in the Bible. And so what I want to do this afternoon for just a few moments is study about a woman of wisdom. And this woman of wisdom, the light of her life shines especially bright because of the darkness of her days. 
This particular woman of wisdom lives in the days of the judges. And if you know anything about the history of the Bible and the way that the story of the Bible is told, the history of the judges is uh, one of the most miserable periods in the history of God's people. Miserable because of their incessant rebellion against God. So the time of Judges happens just after the time of Joshua. And so if you look in your Bibles, you find there, beginning with Joshua, 12 books of history. And Judges is the second book of history. When you read the book of Judges, when you begin reading that book, the generation of Joshua is dying away. They're gone. And what's going to happen in the days of the Judges? The entire book is actually characterized by the very last phrase in the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the period of the judges. People did whatever they wanted to. That's not very wise, is it? They're not applying the truths of God's word to their life. They're doing what they want. And as you read through Judges, you kind of read this uh, repeating cycle where you find the children of Israel, you know, inhabiting the promised land. They're being blessed by God. And then they rebel. And then they suffer. And then they cry out to God. And God sends them a judge or a deliverer. That's what the word judge is. That's what that means, a deliverer. He sends them a deliverer. And this deliverer drives out the enemies. And then there they are being blessed again. And then they rebel. And on that cycle goes all the way through the book of Judges. And you think, God is depending on these people. And he's made promises that he has to keep to all of humanity that he's going to fulfill through these people. How is he going to do that? There didn't seem to be a good one among them. And so you read all the way through the book of Judges. And by the time you get to the end, you are literally... Uh, well, the last stories kind of make you a little ill, to be honest with you. They're awful. And you think, that, how could it get, how could it work? And then you read the book of Ruth. <laughs> Aren't you glad the book of Ruth is in the Bible? I'm so happy that it's there. And the more you know about this dark time, the more beautiful this book becomes. Because the book of Judges tells us about this period, and then you have this little, short little book, four chapters, that tells you the story of Ruth. Ruth happens uh, to take place in the land, we begin in the land of Moab. As you begin to read the beginning of the book of Ruth, it tells you about a man named Elimelech. His wife is Naomi. He has two sons, Malian, uh, Malin and Chilion. They are Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. They're there because of uh, a famine. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she's left and her two sons. And they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They dwelt there about ten years. And then both Malin and Chilion died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. As you read the first five verses of Ruth, the sun doesn't begin shining quite yet. That's a pretty depressing beginning. And by the time you get to verse 5, you're left with Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And you think, what are these folks going to do? Their providers, their protectors have died. 
what are they going to do? And so we find ourselves in the beginning of Judges, in a period, or in the beginning of Ruth, in a period where it appears to be very difficult to carry out the will of God. Grab your Bibles and read with me here for a minute. I want to read verses 6 through 18. I'm not going to read the whole book of Ruth with you, but I do want to read this little section here. Um, because it tells the story of what happens next. Now that they find themselves in this difficult scenario, what are they going to do? What decision are they going to make? And just keep it in your mind. In a difficult moment, what do the commands of God, where do they go? Are they still with you? Or do you throw them out because times are too hard? Let's see what they do. Let's begin here in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Then she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she had determined to go with her, she stopped speaking with her. And so things get better, it seems. The Lord has blessed the promised land again. She's going to return. Naomi is from this land of Moab. She's going to go back home. And as they start cruising along, here come the daughters-in-law with her. And what does she tell them? She says, go home. You know, what is this conversation? Do you notice what happens? She tells them to go home and, and they cry. They're sad. And, you know, I'm sure on the days these girls married into this family, this is not what they thought was going to happen. This is, you know, things as they planned out had not turned out. It didn't work like they thought it would. And so you can just go back home. You know, it's more, though, than just frustrated expectations that's at the center of this exchange. What does Naomi mean when she says, 
Will you wait for me to get married and have sons? Will you restrain yourselves from having husbands? And What is all of that about? You know what that is? That's something, she's referring to something called the Levirate Law. The Levirate Law is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, if you want to read it. I think it's in verses 5 through 10. What is the Levirate Law? Well, buckle your seatbelts. Here's what the Levirate Law is. Remember, this is for Israel. This is their law, and this is all about building a nation. But here's what would happen. If you had two brothers, and one brother dies, and he does not leave behind his son, it becomes his brother's responsibility to take that wife and father a son on behalf of his brother. And so that is the Levirate law. When these girls married into this family, they did more than just marry these guys. They literally married into the family. And when their husbands died without sons, God has a law for that. God has expectations for what people are supposed to do in that circumstance. What are they going to do? You know what Naomi says? And I don't want to be too hard on Naomi. Naomi is a, is a good person, I believe, but she's having a difficult time figuring out how to follow God's will in these particular moments. And we can relate to that. All of us maybe have been there. But what does Naomi recognize? Or what does she recommend? She recommends go home. We can't do it. It won't work. I know God's law. I know what he says we're supposed to do in this circumstance. But it's too hard. It's just too hard. There's no way it can work out. So you girls, you go home. For them to leave Naomi then... Is not just about loyalty. It's not just personal loyalty. It is actually to leave God's will. Do you notice when Orpah leaves? Look at this little phrase here that can sneak by if you're not watching it real close. Verse 15, what does she say? Orpah has gone back to her people and to her gods. You know, leaving Naomi wasn't just about leaving a familiar person, leaving someone they, they loved Leaving someone that they wanted to. That wasn't just the deal. It was about leaving God. Going back to idolatry. So to leave Naomi is to go home to idolatry and to readopt those ordinances as they had in their own country. Orpah leaves, but Ruth refuses to go. Look at what Ruth says now, beginning in verse 15. She says, don't entreat me to leave you because I'm going to go with you. Where you go, I will go. I want you to notice as we look at these phrases, the increasing level of commitment with each phrase that she states. The first thing she says, where you go, I'm going to go. Okay, they're going to take a road trip together. Now, me and Chris here, we have taken, I don't know, quite a few road trips together actually over the years. It takes a level of commitment to do that, not a super profound level of commitment maybe, but look at what she says next. Where you stay, I'm going to stay, and we've done that too. <laughs> we used to have 15 guys stay in one room at a meeting at one time. I took a shower at 3 o'clock in the morning because that's when the time was. Then she says, your people will be my people. See, my family is going to be your family, and your God, my God, I'm going to die where you die. I'm going to be buried where you're buried. 
Do you see the increasing level of commitment that she announces? This is not just because Ruth really likes Naomi. The first point of wisdom I want you to see in Ruth is this. Ruth is committed to God until she dies. She does not have an escape plan. She does not have an option. It is, I'm committed to God, and I'm going to be committed to him when I die. You know, when you run into challenges in life, you're going to find situations where you think, I don't know how to do God's will in this moment. You may find situations like that. You may struggle to understand how to apply God's word to a particular situation. But I'm going to make you a promise. You will never figure it out if you don't begin with this commitment. If you don't have it in your mind that there is no way I will leave God. I don't know how this will work. I don't know the direction we're going to go. But I'm never leaving him no matter what. If that's not your starting point, you're going to have a hard time making a wise decision in a difficult time. But that's where Ruth begins. She is loyal to God until she dies. There is no escape plan. So I love verse 18. Verse 18. When she saw that, she just stopped speaking. And then verse 19, they come to Bethlehem. Don't you wish you had a little bit of a note there on what they talked about on the way? They have this conversation and then they walk all the way from Moab to Bethlehem. And we don't know what they say. But I know they chatted on the way. I'm sure that they did. So when they get back to Bethlehem, the end of chapter 1 tells you about their return to Bethlehem. And you know, people remember Naomi. It's been a while since she's been there, but they remember her. This is her hometown. And she comes home and people say, hey, Naomi's here. And she says, don't call me Naomi. You call me Mara. Well, that's kind of a distressing greeting. The name Naomi really means sweet the name Mara means bitter. Don't call me sweet. You call me bitter. Why does she say that? She says, because God has basically reached out against me and my family. Is that true? Naomi is the first person to believe that. Do you know a lot of people believe that even to this very day? A lot of very conservative scholars believe that. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I kind of wonder about it, though, because when in other places in the Bible where God punishes people like that, it says God punished them like that. And so when you read in Genesis about the descendants of Ur being punished, it tells you. When you read in, in 2 Samuel about Uzzah grabbing the uh, ark, God tells you, I killed him. It doesn't say that here. So I just want to give that to you. You think about it as you read the book of Ruth. But anyway, that's what she believes. The very last verse of chapter 1 gives you a little bit of a note here about the circumstances of their return as well. It says, Now Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite's daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let me read the first three verses of chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family 
of Elimelech. As you read the very end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, there's this little note about the time of their return. It's barley harvest. It's harvest time. And speaking of God's law, God had a plan for people who were down and out. Here comes Ruth and Naomi back to this particular area. They don't have any money. They don't have a bunch of provisions laid aside. They're really in, in bad shape. And so how are they going to provide for themselves? I mean, literally, what are they going to eat for dinner? Well, God had a plan for that. You know, in the book of Leviticus, it mentions a little bit about this. If you read Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. And there's a couple of other places too. But God had a plan for what those who were um, less fortunate were, were going to be allowed to do. So here is his plan. When these farmers would go through and reap their fields, there's a, there's a couple of rules. First rule, you go through the field once. You don't go through and harvest twice. You go through and you harvest your field one time. Rule number two is you leave the hedges around your property and don't harvest them at all. So what's the point of all of that? Well, those that were having a difficult time, those that are struggling, were allowed then to go through those fields and harvest for themselves. That's the way they were to, designed to provide for themselves in those difficult times. So Ruth here, when she says all that, why do you think she says that? You know why I think she says that? Because she read Leviticus 19 before. Because she read Leviticus 23. She knew the law. And what does she do? She applies God's law to this difficult circumstance. Let me go out to those fields and let me go reap. I love this example. In the middle of a difficult time, what should you do? Well, to begin with, Ruth is loyal to God till she dies. But number two is Ruth works to solve her problems. She works according to God's will to solve her problems. Reminds me of Madison's uh, first grade teacher, my oldest daughter, Madison. She had this first grade teacher named Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones was a wonderful teacher. She had been teaching first grade for 30 years or something. She was an expert at teaching first grade and at teaching parents, as it turned out. She was wonderful. And in this class, these kids come into first grade. That's a big jump, isn't it, to go from kindergarten to first grade? Big jump. And you have to do all these things all of a sudden. And she told us, she said, you know, these, these, these kids need to be ready on the first day of school to do all of these different things. And like tie their own shoes and those sorts of things. And then she explained, you know, what happens, these first graders, every single problem they have, they come up to me and ask me to solve it. And one of the things I'm going to teach these kids is to solve your own problems. Wow, I love that. I was a brand new dad, you know. Madison's in first grade. I'm learning right along with her, but I love that. Solve your own problems. <laughs> I like that. And so when she has her shoe untied, what are you supposed to tell her? Solve your problem. You can do that. You go do it. Where's my pencil? I don't know. You go find it. That's what Mrs. Jones taught us to do. And so in our family, even to this day, if I, I can tell Madison, S-Y-L-P, she rolls her eyes, but she knows what that means. Solve your own problems. You know, there's, there's something you can do when you have problems. 
There are things you can do. And you know what we're tempted to do? Is nothing. We're tempted to be defeated by these problems and think maybe they can't be overcome. And I don't say that to be critical. They feel overwhelming. They feel too big. They feel too uh, difficult. And you think, there's nothing I could do to make a difference. Yes, there is. Get up and go to work on something. Go work on something you can accomplish. And you read in the Bible and see the, the specific things God tells us to be working at. Go work at some of those. And if you're having a really, really difficult day, get up and go work on something. Is that going to be easy? Maybe not. Maybe not. But it's the best thing for you. And you know what happens with Ruth? If you read chapter 2, it's really neat. She shows up in this field. You know, she's brave, isn't she? Here she is, this foreign-born girl, going out to a field to harvest along with all of these Israelites who I'm sure hated her guts and hated that she was there and wanted to be mean to her. And where does she show up? In the field of Boaz, their relative. And once he figures out who she is, he tells the harvesters, hey, you kind of give her some room and you let her take what she wants. Don't ask her any questions. You give her the opportunity to take whatever she wants. Well, she's a hard worker. You read the end of chapter 2, she's pretty successful. And she has kind of a, as you could say, maybe a hard time carrying everything home at the end of the day. And she shows up and Naomi says, where did all of this come from? And she says, well, I ended up in the field of Boaz. And you can almost see the light bulb come on in Naomi's eyes. The life just comes right back into her as soon as she hears his name. Because she can see, ah, there is a way to do God's will. There is a way this could work out. Why is Ruth wise? Ruth is wise because she's committed to God no matter what till she dies. And she is wise because she works according to God's will to solve her own problems. She does what she can to work on her problems. Number three, though, we want to take a look here at chapter three. Because what happens here, once Naomi realizes you just found Boaz, Boaz is our relative, this could actually work. Naomi kind of, it seems like when you read it, she kind of gets back to her old self. And here's what happens. Let's take a look at the beginning of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? That's the Levirate law. It can work. We can find security for you. Here's how. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, his winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man till he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down, you'll notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her to do. So you just see Naomi kind of come back, don't you? You can almost see the color come back to her face and just the life come back to her. And all of a sudden she sees it can work. It can work. And so then she begins telling Ruth what to do. Here's what you do. You get all dressed up. You make yourself all uh, pretty and all of that. And he's going to eat dinner. And then he's going to fall asleep. 
Guys haven't changed. <laughs> we're all still the same. We're gonna eat and we're gonna we're gonna sleep. That's what Boaz was gonna do. He's worked hard all day. He's gonna eat this big old meal and he's gonna be out like that. And she says, "You get up there and you you're gonna look all nice and everything. And when he falls asleep, you uncover his feet. You just lay down at his feet." I have to admit that's kind of a strange little section to read, and I don't know that I know everything about it. Read a few different explanations, some of which I know are incorrect. Boaz and Ruth both are spiritually minded people. The very first thing Boaz says when he wakes up, by the way, is are spiritually minded things. There's nothing sensual about this. To me, my favorite explanation I've run across is why does she uncover his feet so he'll wake up in the middle of the night? That's why. I would, you want to cover my feet, I will. I'll wake up. So anyway, whatever the reason, when he wakes up, there's a message in her posture. It's a message of humility. And it sends a message of who Ruth really is in her heart. And when Boaz wakes up and he sees her, he realizes the opportunities as well. Right in the middle of all of this, though, is point number three. How is Ruth wise Ruth is wise because she listens to wise counsel. I want you to think about exactly what Naomi tells her to do. Naomi is involved in her love life. She's telling her about how to pursue a romantic relationship with this guy. This is the kind of guy you should be interested in. Here's what you should do to sort of build your relationship with him. Well, in our time, that just sounds kind of intrusive. Who are you to get involved in my business like that? But do you notice what Ruth did? She said, everything you said to me, I'm going to do it. And she did. That speaks well of her, doesn't it? She's willing to listen to advice. Because sometimes within our hearts, we don't necessarily want to listen to good advice, but it's always better that we do. I've had to learn that a little bit in Oklahoma because, like I told you, I'm a Californian living in Oklahoma. And so they actually have weather out there. We have weather here too, but not like Oklahoma. It's, it's, it's different. The first winter I was back there, I went to the preacher study in Texas. And uh, you know, it's the, the very end of the session. And uh, this, we were having lunch and there was going to be an afternoon session and then it was going to be over. And this older preacher comes up to me and he says, when are you going home? I don't know. I'm not sure. He said, if I was you, I'd go home right now. I'd go back to the place during lunch. I'd get your car. I'd bring it back here, and I'd leave immediately after the last session and drive to your house. You know what I thought when he told me that? I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm tired, and I want to stay here tonight and drive back tomorrow after I've got to sleep. But he said, there's a storm coming. And if I, if I was you, I, that's what I would do. Well, I just had a little wrestling match inside myself, to be honest with you, sitting there eating lunch. And I thought, well, I guess I'll do it. So I went back, got my car, and drove home that night. It was an easy drive home. The next morning, I never lived where we've had snow before. The next morning, here comes all this ice and then a bunch of snow. And a whole bunch of preachers were stuck at trying to get home. But not me. I was home. 
And you know, I looked a lot smarter than I am. Why? Because that guy's wise. He knew about the weather a lot more than I do. Isn't that how that works? We borrow other people's wisdom. I don't know everything. You don't either. And sometimes we need help. It doesn't really matter who you are, how much experience you have. You're going to find people that know more than you about something from time to time. And you can learn from them. Proverbs 12 and 15 talks about the fact that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. God doesn't expect you to figure everything out on your own. He wants all of us to listen to wise advice. Ruth does a great job of that. She listens to Naomi. She takes the advice of Naomi. And it turns out that she begins this relationship with Boaz just like Naomi thought it could happen. Ruth is loyal to God till she dies. She's a hard worker and she is a person who will listen to a wise counselor. I want to mention the fourth point to you now. We go to chapter 4 towards the end of the story. Boaz is now aware of everything. He is now aware of uh, the opportunity. But he also is aware, because he is uh, an individual of knowledge, of some things they need to do in order to walk through this legally. So beginning in chapter 4, um, Boaz takes Ruth and makes his way to the city gate. Now, why are they going to the city gate? The fact of the matter is, uh, the city gate, where we're going to go here as we read this together, that's where the elders are. And these elders, they're, they're the ones that are going to be able to provide wisdom and all that sort of a thing. You know, the elders don't really say anything, but they're witness to it. And in other words, the procedure has a great amount of credibility so let's just see here what Boaz does. Listen, beginning in verse 1. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, a close relative of Boaz had, had spoken come by. There's another relative closer related than Boaz. That's who he's talking about. So Boaz says he's going to negotiate with him here or discuss things with him. He says, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he came to the close relative. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you'll not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. He said, I'll redeem it. And Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Listen to verse 6. At the close, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. What happens here? There's a, rel there's a law, you know, the law of redemption. And I'm not going to run through all that, but here we find again a Mosaic law behind this story. And what is the law of redemption? Basically that there was relatives that were closer related than others. Maybe like we would think first, second, third cousin, that sort of a thing. So you'd say the first cousin had the right of redemption before the second cousin and before the third cousin and so on and so forth. That's kind of what you're finding right here. So here's this relative that's more closely related to Naomi or specifically to Elimelech, than Boaz is. What is his name? Isn't it funny? I think it's funny. It never says his name. 
Maybe his name's not worthy of remembering. Look at what he does. Do you want to redeem it? Yes, I'm going to redeem it. Well, when you do, there's a Deuteronomy 25 situation here. On second thought, I'm not interested. <laughs> I don't want that responsibility. So he lets it go. This close relative, that we, and we don't ever know his name, he lets it go. But do you notice what Boaz does by negotiating all of this or discussing it or whatever where he does? Do you see the level of credibility there is to their relationship? So here's the fourth point I want to make to you. Ruth is wise because she's loyal to God till she dies and she's a hard worker and she listens to wise counsel. But the fourth thing about Ruth, she is wise because she marries a man of wisdom. You take one person and you have them marry another person of wisdom, what do you think can happen? You know, the choice of mate, the choice of, of whom you're going to marry is such an important decision. So important. The most important decision you're going to make, for sure, is to become a Christian. The second most important decision you're going to make is whether or not you get married, and if you do, who are you going to marry? Oh, that's important. Who's going to influence your life more than your spouse? Nobody. You know what? If you marry somebody who's wise, that's good. That's really, really good. Because the biggest influence in your life is a person of wisdom. And for those, several of you here are married already and have been married a long time. This is relevant for those of us who are married too. Because we have to realize on the other side of that decision as we are married that whether or not we're wise has a pretty large impact on the quality of life of our spouse. It's not just about me. I've got to be wise to be a good husband. And if you're married, you need to be wise to be a good spouse too. In other words, wisdom is an important cornerstone of a good marriage, of a marriage that honors God. I want you to look what happens now that Boaz and Ruth are together. These two people that are wise. These two people who are looking to apply God's will to their life, even in difficult times. Listen to the end of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. And Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. There's a great big bang at the end of that book. A genealogy. But it's just not any genealogy. I want you to look and see what came out of this family. There's a heritage here before Boaz ever comes along. There are men of, of faith before he ever comes along. But look what happens after him. Boaz is the father of a guy named Obed, who is the father of a guy named Jesse, who is the father of a guy named David. Did you know the story of Ruth is the, story, the love story of David's grandparents? King David is a descendant of Ruth and Boaz. God, how are you going to keep all your promises in a dark time? He needs two people of wisdom, Boaz and Ruth. 
And here comes the line toward David. But it's even better than that. It's not just that Ruth and Boaz are the grandparents of David. Ruth and Boaz are the grandparents of Jesus Christ. This is the love story of his grandparents. Long, many, many greats back before. But Ruth and Boaz have a role in bringing the world our Savior. Their wisdom, look at the lasting consequences of their wise decisions. Aren't you thankful tonight for the faith and wisdom of Ruth and Boaz and for the family that together they were able to raise and for the blessing their family has become to the world? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Ruth did just that. Wisdom was important to her. She prioritized it, and she lived a life of wisdom. Her life of wisdom built around her loyalty to God, her work ethic, her willingness to take counsel, and her wisdom and choice of a mate. In those four ways, Ruth teaches us how we can seek after wisdom even in our own time. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.